Welcome in to the BetUS College Football Show. It's week number nine, and it is part two. That's right, the afternoon slash late slate. I am your host, Gary Seegers. You can follow me on Twitter at GaryWCE. And we have a lot of games to get to, so let me go ahead and introduce the experts. Today, we are going to start on the right side of your screen. I'm not making the joke this time. Kyle Hunter is our award-winning professional handicapper. He's at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. Kyle, how are you feeling, my friend? Feeling well, man. Uh, good to be here again. And uh, even though there's not as many big games this weekend, I think we've found some value here, and I'm excited to talk about this slate. Oh, most certainly. Like I said, we've got... Uh, a lot of games, and today, a lot of picks. We have got a lot of picks on these. On the left side of your screen is Parker Fleming at Stats of War on Twitter. He's the numbers guy, the analyst, the numerical guru, if you will. Parker, brother, uh, a lot of picks today. A lot of picks. We have found some value in the late slate. A lot of picks. It's funny when it lines up where I just find more value in the later games, so I toss them all on Wednesday. But we've got some good insights and a bunch of good matchups here, so excited to uh, excited to get into it. Now, you have got that right. Now, before we get to the recap, let me go ahead and remind everybody, go ahead and like the video for us if you would so kindly. Make sure that you are subscribed to the channel. That is the only way that you can get into the chat, and I do see everybody in already. Heath, Arbone, Julius, uh, let's see, we got Max in there, Ryan, Steven, etc. You guys are the lifeblood of the program, so make sure that you are here each and every Tuesday and Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern time. That is when we go live every single week. If you can't be here live... I mean, I wouldn't recommend it. I would recommend being here live. I would recommend uh, also listening to the podcast. We toss out a lot of information on the show. So go and get the BetUS Football Show podcast on whatever your favorite app is, Apple, Spotify, et cetera, whatever, and leave a nice five-star review. That helps us out. The show's free. And, you know, we don't ask for much. Just a nice uh, rating, five-star rating, whatever it is, and for you to like the video and subscribe to the channel. So go ahead and knock that out for us if you would so kindly. If you've not already, Go back after this show. Go back and watch Tuesday's show. lot of good insight on that one as well. Gentlemen, let's hit the recap. We like to be as transparent as possible. We tell you when we're winning. We tell you when we're losing. We give you the opportunity to fade or tail every single time out. As it sits currently, I am 32-17-2 on the season. Kyle is 18-15. and 15. Parker, 26-23-1. And that gives us a total of 76.55-3, which puts us at 58.01% against the number on the year. Gentlemen, that is not bad. That is not too bad, especially once you get past that halfway point of the season. So we're, uh, we're ready for a nice tail end of the year once we get there. We're still in the middle. We still got a good bit to go, but, uh, you know. And by the way, we're going to be here through bowl season, through all the playoff stuff, et cetera, as well. So... Just stay tuned here. Make sure you are subscribed to the channel. Gentlemen, let's dive into the games. We're going to start off in the Big 12, and we added a game. We're going back to the noon slate. TCU against West Virginia. The Horned Frogs, a 7.5-point road favorite. And the total at 69. I mean, we're talking a lot of points here. This one, of course, in Morgantown, 12 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. Kyle, I'm going to start with you on this. Uh, West Virginia won this last year, 29 to 17. TCU is one and five straight up, 0 and six against the spread in their last six against West Virginia. And while you would think that TCU has been through this gauntlet, you know West Virginia went to Texas Tech last week and just got their doors blown in. This is still kind of a tricky spot, maybe for the Horn Frogs. What do you see in this ballgame? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, West Virginia with a terrible showing last week, certainly. Tony Mathis has been a big part of this West Virginia offense, and him being out I think hurts them quite a bit. Um, you know, a running game for West Virginia would be how I would expect them to move the ball here normally. Uh, TCU, uh, the thing I like about TCU's offense so much is they're so balanced. I feel like TCU can beat you either way, uh, running or throwing. I think Johnston's a really tough matchup for this West Virginia secondary, a secondary that uh, frankly isn't very good. I'm surprised that a Neil Brown coach team uh, isn't any better defensively than what they are. I thought they would be better than this. Uh, they're 116th in opponent QBR allowed on the year. I think uh, Max Duggan's going to have a really good game here in this one. The uh, question is, how much can West Virginia score? Uh, TCU has allowed a bunch of big plays this year, uh, 41 plays of 20 yards or more, which is a pretty high number. JT Daniels, I guess this is kind of up for debate, but uh, Daniels has not played terribly, but he hasn't played that good either. Uh, eight big-time throws, 10 turnover-worthy plays. For a guy with a massive you know, hype around him uh, coming into college, I think Daniels has been just okay at, at best. And, uh, you know, I, I would lean TCU in this one. I don't trust West Virginia to keep up. I think TCU scores quite a few here. Um, so I'm going to lean toward the Horned Frogs. I I like that pick. I like that I, not pick, obviously, lean. Um, but I'm, I'm with you. I, I look at this West Virginia defense. You look at what TCU's been doing on offense. I mean, their offense has been absolutely dynamite thus far this season, even more so in the second half of games, if you go back and watch what's happened. Number 16 in PPA per drive through the last five weeks. They're number 56 in standard downs uh, success rate is TCU. West Virginia's defense in that same metrics, number 120. I mean, it's just awful. TCU's offense, number 17, and passing downs PPA as well. So even if you did find a way to get them behind the chains, they're still super successful. So there's no real way to stop the TCU offense currently. Uh, we At least we have not seen it, right? Maybe the first half of the Oklahoma State game. But regardless, you start looking at some of these numbers. TCU is number three in giveaways per game. West Virginia is number 81. Uh, TCU, number 20 in penalties per game. West Virginia is number 70. There's... There's not a lot of ways that I'm seeing for West Virginia to really be able to uh, stay in this ball game if it goes the way that we think it will. JT Daniels had three picks last week against Texas Tech. Uh, he's got the number 87 QBR thus far, as you were mentioning, Kyle. It, just kind of an average quarterback thus far. He played really, really well in the first two weeks of this season. And then it's like people got film on him and figured out what he does well and what he doesn't, and they make him do the thing that he doesn't do well more often. So we'll move this over to you, Parker. Uh, Tony Mathis being out, I think, is a huge deal. C.J. Donaldson is coming off of an injury. Uh, he did play last week. Didn't really look like himself, at least not what he looked like early in the season. Uh, without the playmakers, et cetera, uh, what do you see West Virginia being able to do against the Horned Frogs? Yeah, so I think the, the big thing that why this is on the board today is I did see yesterday that Tony Mathis is going to be out, and that running back room is very, very thin, and they've had some injury issues. They couldn't run the ball very well against Tech at all. Um, on the season, they're 61st in EPA per rush. TCU's defense, when it's gotten burned, is getting burned by two things. One, deep threat, multiple wide receivers, and... Um, mobile quarterbacks. I call JT Daniels a lot of things. I won't call him mobile. Um, and I think that Bryce Ford Wheaton is good. Caden Prather is pretty good as two double options, but I don't know if they're um, enough to really stress this TCU defense to the point that, that 
Um, they can be stressed. Also, both of those guys have have pretty big drops that have significantly altered the season for West Virginia. So there might be some issues there. Um, on the other side of the ball, looking at um, one, one thing Neil Brown talked about in his presser yesterday. So a lot of this is I looked at the presser yesterday and what they're talking about and and kind of felt like this is actually a really good spot for TCU. He talked about screens and how they just really struggled with screens. They've struggled with screens all year. 74% of Baron Morton's yards against West Virginia last week came after the catch. 28% of his pass Passes for screens, 6.5 yards per attempt. Um, can I give you a little Max Duggan fun fact? 27.5% of his attempts are screens, and they're averaging 7.5 yards per attempt. You have Johnston, who's so big and physical and can move. You have Darius Davis, who's slippery, uh, smaller guy. I think that combination, coupled with Johnston being able to get to the next level, and Kendra Miller, who was leading the Big 12 in tackles uh, or broken tackles per attempt, uh, I think that's just going to be a really hard combination for this defense to stop. And even if West Virginia can string together a couple big plays with Bryce Ford Wheaton, I don't know that they have the rushing floor to move forward. Um, so overall, I mean, just on its face, I have West Virginia 39th on offense, but 116th on defense uh, defense there. And they're 126 against the pass against the 12th most efficient passing offense in college football. That's not going to go well this weekend. I think West Virginia definitely in a bad spot. There's a lot of questions about Neil Brown. There's a lot of apathy about the program. And uh, for the road team in Morgantown, it's an 11 a.m. game. Um, not a um, not a 7 p.m. game. So that's going to that's gonna matter environment-wise, whatever voodoo you want to bet on Morgantown there. Um, this is also, I believe, the last time TCU's leaving the state of Texas in this regular season. Um, so I'm going to ride with the Frogs here. Um, I think that West Virginia's defense is just in a really bad spot. They had the opportunities on offense to score last week. They had five scoring opportunities, came away with 10 total points. That's less than 50% of their season average. So I think this offense can still move the ball, but TCU's defense better than Tex. And um, I think think that West Virginia's defense is going to have much more trouble with the multiplicity of TCU's offense than they did Texas Tech's. I like it. Official play here for Parker. He's riding TCU to cover seven and a half here on the road. And and I like it. At some point, I feel like the fact that the bye week was in week three, I feel like that's going to catch up. Just don't feel like it's going to be here. Uh, so we'll, we'll move along after that. But yes, Parker riding TCU to cover seven and a half in Morgantown. Moving along to the SEC, in this game, uh, obviously a huge annual rivalry, uh, but when you got numbers like this, it, it kind of takes a little shine off the game. Florida and Georgia in Jacksonville every single year. The Bulldogs are a 23-point favorite. The total sits at 57, latest numbers at BetUS. And guys, uh, Georgia won this last year 34-7. to uh, It is it, This is the 3.30 p.m. Eastern time kick on CBS every year in this time slot, you know, Halloween weekend, you look at some of these numbers and it's just mind blowing. Uh, Florida's offense is not even consistent against bad defenses. And now obviously going up against the best defense that they have faced, this could get rough or, uh, I mean, Anthony Richardson kind of makes every game unbettable really. Um, but Parker, let's let's start with you on this. Florida is one and seven against the spread in their last eight games against the SEC. Georgia five and two against the spread against teams with a winning record. I don't know that any of that really necessarily matters. Georgia's four and one straight up and against the spread in their last five against Florida. The only one that they did not cover, did not win, was in that 2020 season when they had so many guys out on defense and uh, Dan Mullen took the Gators to the SEC championship game. Uh, what are you seeing in this matchup between the Gators and the Bulldogs that uh that might earn maybe a lean or so. 
Yeah, so so the numbers here are, you know, just in raw numbers that aren't looking at sequencing are, are actually pretty happy with uh, Florida's um, rushing efficiency. They're fourth in EPA per rush, and they're rushing 5.7% uh, more than the average team. That, of course, includes Anthony Richardson uh, scrambling. And um, and so that's that's putting them at 101st in rush rate over expected. So in terms of opponent-adjusted offense, I have them about eighth, actually, in the nation. Now, if I weight that like I like to do for my power numbers with passing efficiency of course they're not the eighth best, best offense in more of a descriptive sense how have they played um i have them at 69th in epa per pass and only 53rd in quality possession rates um that's not a winning recipe against a georgia defense that is 28th in epa per pass fourth in epa per rush um fifth in opponent adjusted epa per play so this georgia defense is really really good one thing to watch and where where if you're gonna lean georgia you're gonna um try and find kind of the uh, where the wheels come off here. And uh, Florida is 119th in starting field position on offense. Georgia is eighth in starting field position allowed. On the other side of the ball, Georgia's 40th in starting field position, and Florida is 88th in starting field position allowed. So if Georgia gets a couple short field scores, kind of pulls away. Um, the one reason that I'm worried about betting this big of a total, and I'm kind of harping on this, this is a little more um, definite. Billy Napier has done this a couple times this year where his teams have been out of games and they've said like, Hey, we're just going to keep playing and come back close and make things uncomfortable and stay in games. Now, does that wane over the course of the season as they lose multiple games? Maybe, I don't know, but this offense is explosive. That's undeniable. And I think that Billy Napier, especially in year one for him is really looking to, you know, what can I get the moral victories? How can I establish kind of the foundations here and, uh, and, and scoring late, keeping the pressure up on Georgia, not getting blown out will be a big deal there. So I, I think that just for that reason, um, one big total two Georgia's underwhelmed at certain spots, three Billy Napier's team has shown a way to stay in games. I would, I would kind of lean towards Florida, but again, the, the raw numbers, I mean, I'm, I'm still at Georgia by 23. Yeah, that's I'm around the same number. Uh, I've got Georgia by 24 just as far as numbers go uh, over the last five weeks. I mean, Florida, number one in rushing explosiveness, but number 100 in rushing success rate like that's to tell you everything you need to know about that. The way that I could see Florida maybe being able to stay within this number is Georgia's got the number 46 tackling grade at PFF. Right. So if you can maybe break some tackles with Anthony Richardson, there's a way that you can maybe find some points there, especially late in the game with Georgia having Tennessee coming to Athens next weekend. Right. So maybe a bit of a look ahead spot, especially if you get up early, Kyle, let's, uh, let's move it over to you. Georgia kind of, you know, they sleptwalked through the last, is it sleepwalked or sleptwalked? Regardless uh, through the last, well, two weeks. And then they woke up uh, in the prior two weeks. So um, they're, they're looking better. Obviously a big 55 to nothing win over Vanderbilt before the bye week. Uh, will help you feel good about your program. Um, but is there anything that you can find in this, you know, with Georgia maybe getting Conkey, uh, excuse me, McConkie, Mitchell, and Milton all back this week? Yeah, I, I didn't think that Florida defense would be good this year, but I expected them to be better than this. Um, I think Tony is a good defensive coordinator. I'm surprised that they haven't had more success defensively than they have. Uh, 107th in rushing success rate on defense and 107th in pass play success rate on defense so they're just consistently bad um all this to say uh, i think georgia is going to score a lot of points here um they're, they're number 122 total epa against the run uh, is what i'm seeing so i think this florida run attack is good but like i think gary you made a great point in that you know they either bust a big play or they get stuffed 
and and that's uh makes it a little bit tricky because do we think they're going to get a lot of big plays against Georgia or not? I think Georgia wants to load up the box and make Richardson beat them through the air. I think that's probably the game plan for everybody. Um, I think Florida relying so heavily on those explosive plays, especially running plays on offense, makes them a very tricky handicap. And and Gary already said. I agree. You know, betting a game with Anthony Richardson is really dangerous. Feels like a you know, minefield or something because uh, the key to the handicap is how many of those big gainers is Georgia going to give up. Um, I kind of lean to the over here because I think Georgia's going to get their points. Um, I don't see stops from Florida very often in this one. I think the only way that this one gets close, or at least semi-close, even, is uh, the Gators scoring some points in the second half. So. Um, maybe Georgia lets off a little bit. Florida scores some of those points, kind of like Parker was talking about. They've had some of these games where they go ahead and score when they've been down pretty big. I think of the uh, Tennessee game in, in particular. So uh, I would lean to the over in this one. I think this is a really tough side to bet. I like that lean to the over. The total has gone from 55 and a half up to 57 currently. Uh, I would imagine it keeps climbing because it, like you, Kyle, I believe that there are going to be a lot of points here. Uh, that number 46 tackling grade for Georgia really surprised me when I started diving into these numbers. Uh, if you can't tackle, uh, you're certainly going to have trouble with Anthony Richardson. So uh, no official play on this one, but, you know, maybe a lean to the over, maybe a backdoor cover from Florida somewhere along there. But another data point leading us towards Tennessee and Georgia next week in Athens. All right, moving along, we have got an ACC matchup uh, between two kind of surprising teams thus far this year, Wake Forest. Heads to Cardinal Stadium to take on Louisville, and the Cardinals are a three-and-a-half-point home dog here. The total sits at 62, latest numbers at BetUS. And you look at what happened last year. Wake Forest won 37-34. Louisville is 2-1 and one straight up, 3-0 and oh against the spread against Wake in the last three. The underdog in this matchup is 8-0 and oh against the number in the last eight seasons. So, you know, something to pay attention to with Louisville being a home dog here. Wake Forest 4-0 against the spread on the road. They are 4-0 against the spread in their last four games overall. Louisville 5-11 against the spread against winning teams uh, at home. So that is not great. Not great. Scott Satterfield's bunch, I I feel like I never know which one is going to show up here. Uh, Parker, we're going to start with you. The one that lost to Boston College, is that the Louisville team that shows up? Or is it the one that whipped Pitt and beat UCF earlier in the year? Uh, this pass defense is, I mean, just terrible. Uh, just like number 109 PPA per pass defense in the last five weeks. That's not a good matchup in this game. Um, the Wake Forest defense that was so good at the start of the year has kind of declined a little bit. Uh, on the full season, they're number 51 in PPA per drive, but number 78 PPA per drive over the last five weeks. And this this could be a tricky situation maybe for both teams, depending on who actually shows up, which version of which team uh, what are you seeing in this matchup? Yeah, I, 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 I like this one. Uh, yeah, I like this one a lot. Well, I, I, sorry, I'm all over the place here. Um, I, I was just thinking about how bad Louisville's defense is and pulled up my preview and was just shocked by how much red there is. Because like Malik Cunningham, fun quarterback, maybe a good quarterback. Their offense is 97th in raw EPA per play and they're 46th in uh, opponent adjusted EPA per play on offense. So um, just, just really, I mean, uh, you know, lower part of the, that's, that's out of just power five teams. So lower, lower third of the power five, just really struggle with sequencing. have had some really untimely turnovers and they're um, I'm going to use a big word. They're mercurial. They're, you know, they're hot or cold. I don't know who they're going to be um, this, this week. And I, I, I love, 
um, Wake's offense this year, 11th in EPA per pass, 20th in uh, opponent-adjusted EPA per play, 13th in offensive success rate, and they're 49th in rush rate over expected, rushing uh, 2.3% is less than the average team. They are moving the ball. They are moving the ball through the air. They're going to RPO you to death, but they have the receivers A.T. Perry uh, downfield. That's going to create a, create a huge matchup problem as well. They can get the ball to him and a couple secondary options. So I like Wake's multiplicity. I think we need to appreciate Sam Hartman for a little bit. Um, very similar to uh, to Max Duggan a couple of years ago, had an issue where it was like, oh, I don't know if he's going to play football. We're really worried about him and has gotten healthy and, and kind of come back. And so that's a great story for college football. And he's legitimately morphed into a really good quarterback under Dave Clawson in this uh, in this system. Um, on, on no play action, just straight up plays, uh, 63.4% uh, completion, 14 touchdowns. When they run play action, he's averaging uh, about 2.7 yards more per attempt um, than than uh, than on play action. So when they can let those plays develop and then get the ball downfield to their big receivers, man, it's really going to be hard to keep up with this Wake team. So um, Louisville on offense, 101st in EPA per pass, 80th in EPA per rush. Um they're they're a little bit more successful than they are explosive, but they just have that problem of negative plays, of big negative plays that have really put them in a hole. Um, and one thing to note, they are uh, 76th in starting field position on offense. So they're not getting any favors from their special teams and their defense. They're having to face long fields. That's increasing the volatility and giving them plenty of opportunities here to make more um to make more issues. So I really like Wake Forest's offense to move the ball very good against Louisville. And I think the question you have is, can Louisville move the ball against Wake Forest's defense? They're 29th in EPA per rush, 61st in EPA per pass. Uh, but if you opponent adjust, they come down from uh, 40th in defensive efficiency to 27th. So I think Wake Forest is the more complete team. They have lower variance with a higher mean than Louisville here. I think you could talk yourself into an over because Malik Cunningham is dynamic. He does like to make plays. He can extend plays. And uh, and kind of hit you know lightning uh, in a bottle if you will, but it's hard to see this Wake offense and this Louisville defense and conclude that um, Wake's not going to you know boat race this. Yeah, I I can certainly understand that. Uh, you look at the last five weeks. Here's the way that Louisville could maybe keep this game close. Uh, Wake's offense is number two in points per scoring opportunity over the last five weeks. Louisville's defense is also number two in points per scoring opportunity, which is a little bit surprising. The Louisville offense is number 26 in points per scoring opportunity. Wake's defense, also number 26. So whoever can finish drives is really uh, going to win this game. Uh, Louisville is bad on standard downs against a good Wake Forest defense, but they're good on passing downs against a bad Wake Forest defense as far as those passing downs are concerned. They get behind the chains. Uh, Louisville could end up being pretty good in that situation, uh, but you don't want to rely on that, right? Like that's that's where it could get tricky. Kyle, let's move it over to you. Uh, I'm looking at some of these numbers. Uh, Wake Forest is number 19 on standard downs PPA offense. Uh, Louisville's defense is number four in that spot over the last five weeks. I mean, this Louisville defense has kind of shown up here. And now part of that may be uh, the fact that the competition hasn't been great. But the other part of this is, I mean, that defense is having to show up some. Uh, what are you seeing in this matchup? Yeah, first, I think it's uh, Louisville is one of those teams that I've talked about before that has been weak on defense, but somehow when they get uh, opponents into the red zone, all at once they've been good. Um, you know, if you look at that, I think they're really due for red zone regression, a weak defense overall, but their opponents have scored on only 17 out of 25 trips into the red zone. They've given up a touchdown on only 12 of those. 
I don't trust a, a defense that's bad overall to all at once be good in the red zone, especially when Louisville has the 122nd ranked tackling grade at PFF. So you can't tackle. You're not very good in between the 20s. All at once, you're amazing in the red zone. I don't, I don't trust that. Um, I think Wake Forest has a good scheme in place. I like the slow mesh. Uh, I certainly think Wake Forest has the better coaching staff here in this one as well. Um, Louisville is a team that I was high on coming into the season. I feel like I was definitely wrong. Uh, this is a team that has been huge variance. I mean, huge variance. Like you said, which Louisville team is going to show up? I feel like I know what I'm going to get from Wake Forest a lot more than I know what I'm going to get from Louisville. So if Louisville gets their very worst uh, performance, this could be a boat race. If Louisville gets their best performance, I think this is a really close game. Um, you know, the Cardinals have been a big disappointment. They're negative 0.62 yards per play margin in the ACC alone. Uh, I kind of think that they backed into a win there against Pitt, a team that's not playing well. Um, and, and I think that uh, Wake Forest, even though their their defense hasn't been quite as good here lately, I trust Wake Forest defense still more than Louisville. And I definitely trust their offense more. I think there are uh, many ways that Wake Forest can move the ball. Louisville, it's mainly, you know, what can Malik Cunningham do? Uh, so even though this line move is a bit tricky, and I understand the people in the chat saying this one looks a bit fishy, um, I've tried to stay away from uh, worrying about those fishy lines and just uh, trusting the the numbers and even the, the situational feel. Uh, even outside the numbers, I kind of feel like this is a good spot for Wake Forest because Louisville's feeling pretty good about themselves, even though I don't really think they're very good. Uh, so to me, Wake Forest, consistently a good team. Klaus and a really good head coach. I'm going to take Wake Forest here in this one. I like it. Both Parker and Kyle choosing to ride with consistency over high variance. I can understand that. Uh, both of them taking Wake Forest to cover three and a half. I'm going to stay off of that one um, because I don't like betting on or against Louisville because it drives me insane every time. <laughs> so, uh, so, yes, both of them taking the Demon Deacons to cover three and a half there. Reminder, of course, if you're not already subscribed to the podcast, make sure that you do so. The BetUS Football Show, it's on any of your favorite podcast apps. That would be Apple, Spotify, etc. Make sure and leave a nice five-star review. Along with that, make sure and jump into the chat. I see quite a few people uh, that are already in, already asking questions. We do a Q&A at the end of the show. Any games that we have not covered, either on the Tuesday or Wednesday show, you can ask about in there, or you can ask any other random questions, because we have had all kinds of things asked on there. So go ahead and toss it into the chat. In order to be in the chat, you have to be subscribed to the show. So if you're watching this and you have not already subscribed, what are you waiting for? Hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell. It's going to let you know when we go live, and that would be every Tuesday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So, uh, of course, as I mentioned earlier, Go back and watch the Tuesday show once this one gets done, and that way you will have all the knowledge you need for this upcoming Week 9 slate. Let's move into another SEC battle, and we have got Missouri heading to Williams-Brice Stadium. South Carolina, massive win last week over Texas A&M. This week, they are a four-point favorite over the Tigers at home. Total sits at 47, latest numbers at BetUS. Columbia, South Carolina even for a 4 p.m. Eastern time game, is going to be rocking in this spot. I could not be more excited about watching the Gamecocks here, who are already sitting at 5-2, and two, feeling pretty good about themselves. Missouri, a little tricky here. Kyle, I want to start with you. Missouri won this game 31-28 to last year. They are 3-0 and straight up and against the spread in the last three against South Carolina. But in the three years before that, 
South Carolina was 3-0 and straight up and against the spread against Missouri. So this is a, a just a rivalry, I guess you can call it a rivalry, that is very streaky. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens this season, of course. Missouri coming off that 17-14 to win against Vanderbilt. What are you seeing maybe in this matchup, Kyle? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the year-to-date stats, these two teams are pretty even. Um, nearly even in yards per play margin. South Carolina negative six turnover margin. Uh, Missouri minus four. South Carolina minus five sack margin. Missouri minus four sack margin. Um, I think Missouri's defense is a lot better than people thought they would be. So I think the Tigers deserve a lot of credit there. Uh, I've been able to hit some unders with Missouri, and that's certainly my lean for this game as well. Missouri is 13th in success rate allowed. They're, they're 13th. Uh, you know, that's that's super impressive to me. 13th in success rate allowed. I would have figured they'd be in the 50 or 60 range uh, coming into the season. They're number two in defensive line yards. The way to beat them so far this year has been the explosive play. They've given up 13 plays of 30 yards or more. So I guess the question is, do you think South Carolina can come up with those? South Carolina, uh, I think they were really badly banged up earlier this year on defense, and their defense has been better than their year-to-date stats would suggest, at least in recent games. Um, I'm, you know, I'm hesitant to uh, give give them too much credit for the last one because Texas A&M's offense is so weak. But uh, both these teams have been playing at a slower than average tempo. Uh, Missouri has slowed down dramatically in conference action. That's something I like to look at. Is you know what are they playing pace-wise at right now compared to what they were at the beginning of the season? Missouri seems to really want these low-scoring, uh, close games. It's been working uh, several times for them. You know, a 17 to 14 win over Vanderbilt is, doesn't inspire a ton of confidence, <laughs> but but uh, you know they're winning these types of games. Both offensive lines have given up a bunch of big negative plays. So they're giving up a lot of tackles for loss. I think both teams get behind the stick in this one. Um, uh, you know, strong lean to the under in this one for me. This I considered this one as a play. Haven't bet it yet. Uh, still might bet it. I think this could be a low-scoring game. I really don't have a lean on the side, so I'll let you guys uh, hash that one out. But uh, under is my my look in this one. I could certainly, certainly understand playing the under between these two offenses. Good gracious. Uh, Parker, we'll move over to you. Missouri 5-14 and 14 in their last 19 against the spread on the road. South Carolina 8-2 and two against the number at home against losing teams. Uh, you know, just the trends seem to be lining South Carolina's way. What uh, What do you see in this matchup? So I really like Missouri's defense this year. I feel like they've been they've been really feisty, even as their offense has been inept. Um, and I think if this was just a scrimmage where we were just going to line up at the 25 and play football for a couple downs, I, I would be inclined to think that Missouri could keep this close, depending on that how, how, how big that number gets and if it's going to be an under. Um, the problem is that you have to play special teams against a Beamer, and that's just not going to go well for you, regardless of what you try. South Carolina, according to Football Outsider, South Carolina first in special team strength this year, Missouri, 110th. Um, so again, even if I was going to try and talk myself into, I think Missouri's defense could keep this close against South Carolina offense. It hasn't been great in the past. They're 89th in EPA per pass and 40th in EPA per rush. Um, in terms of opponent adjusted, they're, they're 45th in the FBS on offense, 39th on defense. Um, and so really the only elite unit in this game is Missouri's defense, which is eighth in EPA per play uh, opponent adjusted this season. Um, and 14th unadjusted. So a really good Missouri defense against a not great uh, South Carolina offense. But again, the issue is those special teams. You look at starting field position, 
South Carolina is 29th in starting field position allowed. Missouri is 85th. Uh, South Carolina is 11th in starting field position on offense. Missouri, 105th in starting field position allowed. So, the, I mean, there's the writing on the wall for some special teams weirdness here. And so despite the fact my numbers have this by Missouri by two, I would lean towards an under and towards South Carolina covering here just because if it's going to be close to a coin flip, I think that South Carolina is going to be able to get those extra points that we can't really see out of those special teams situations. One thing to note that will be interesting, though, South Carolina pretty bad on early downs, uh, 88th in early downs EPA, but they're way worse on third and fourth downs. They're 93rd in third and fourth down uh, success. The reason is, of course, if you're bad on early downs, that means you're getting into those third and eight, third and nine, third and 10 situations, which are way worse for you. Um, Missouri, 16th in early downs EPA, 35th in third, third and fourth down success. So if they can really bottle up this offense, not give up a silly big play and really put the pressure on hey, can can we just not make the dumb mistake against South Carolina special teams? Maybe they'll be able to keep this close. But, I mean, again, the special team strength disparity is so big between these two teams. That was my point exactly, and it is exactly why I am taking South Carolina in this game. I like them at five and a half. Uh, the number keeps dropping. It's all the way down to four. I, I will take the four. I absolutely love this spot for South Carolina here. I know that they just came off of, you know, a massive win, beat uh, Texas A&M for the first time ever. I understand that. But... This game is at home. It is another team that you haven't beaten in several years. There's not a lot of guys left on this roster that have actually beaten Missouri. Uh, you look at just some of the underlying numbers, right? Discipline. South Carolina looks bad. Number 122 in giveaways per game. Well, Missouri's number 119. So it's it's kind of even there. Penalties per game at South Carolina, number 49. You're thinking, eh, you know, pretty average. Missouri, number 78 in that spot. The special teams are where it's at. You brought up the Football Outsiders numbers. Uh, SP plus South Carolina, number two in special teams, Missouri, number 58. That, I mean, that all points to South Carolina for me. Also, when you look at just the last five weeks, yeah, we can say, uh, and I see people in the chat. I see what they're talking about. South Carolina maybe got lucky last week. Didn't deserve to win. Oh, they played Kentucky's backup quarterback. You still got to go out and play well. You got to win those ball games. South Carolina is number 10 in PPA per play margin over the past five weeks. That is nuts. Absolutely nuts. Shane Beamer is doing good things there. That team feels good about itself. I like what they're doing. Uh, when you look on the other side, Missouri's offense, we can talk about how bad it is, right? Number 98 PPA per pass, number 124 per rush. The quarterback, Brady Cook, on the road this year, zero touchdowns, five interceptions. The running game only has 3.25 yards per rush on the road. That ain't going to fly against this South Carolina defensive line. I will tell you that. I am riding South Carolina. Make it official. Gary goes with the Gamecocks again. They'll cover the four this weekend at home. I love it. We're going to stay in the SEC, and we're going to stay specifically in the SEC East, gentlemen. Kentucky at Tennessee. Maybe another look-ahead spot. Right? We just talked about it with Georgia against Florida. You wouldn't think that would normally be a look-ahead spot, but Kentucky at Tennessee with Tennessee heading to Athens next week. Uh, well, now you just got to deal with pesky old Mark Stoops and company. Kentucky is a 12-and-a-half-point road dog in Knoxville this weekend. The total sits at 63-and-a-half in Neyland Stadium. Latest numbers at BetUS. Guys, this game was nuts last year. 45-42 to 42 Tennessee win, and they were outgained by 150 yards. They were outplay ran by 52 plays in this spot. They held the ball for 46 minutes, did Kentucky, and Tennessee still won the ball game. It was bananas. Kentucky was 12 out of 17 on third down last year and lost the game. Just nuts. And it was at home. 
you look at the trends here. Kentucky is 3-12 and straight up and against the spread against Tennessee in the last 15. They do not play well in this matchup for whatever reason, and they have been trying to get off the schneid. Even against those bad Tennessee teams, they just were not able to get over the hump. Against everybody else, though, Kentucky 25-2. and So 20 wins, 5 losses, 2 pushes against the spread against winning teams. They are 6-1-1 and against the spread in their last 8 as a 10-plus point dog. And Tennessee just going about their business this year, 6-1 and one against the number, doing their thing. Parker, I'm going to roll with you on this one. Uh, we'll start here. I think Kentucky needs the wide receiver, Tavion Robinson, to be healthy for this one. He missed the Mississippi State game, but all signs point to he's going to play in this game. But you don't just need him to play. You need him to be at 100%. The question is, can Levis in that number 44 PPA per drive offense keep up with Tennessee here? Uh, what do you see going on in this one, Parker? This is a matchup between number five in points per minute, or excuse me, plays per minute, and number 131 in plays per minute. Two vastly different styles here. I I know I stole a Kyle stat there on the on the points per or the plays per minute, but it just I, I saw this line and saw 12 and a half and thought, no way. Like the pace has to be a factor here. Tennessee's 66th in rush rate over expected, um, but Kentucky's 89th. So we might see a little bit more rushing in this game. Um, I I think that both teams kind of have some asymmetry, but uh, Tennessee obviously has the better, um, passing ceiling, obviously explosive on offense have been so good with Hendon Hooker. They're ninth in EPA per pass, 14th in EPA per rush, second overall behind only Ohio state in opponent adjusted, uh, offensive efficiency. So very, very good from them as well. And they're, you know, they're 24th on defense overall. Um, they, they really have struggled against the pass, uh, without adjusting for opponent 114th in EPA per pass. That's 0.220. So, um, we saw in the Alabama game, a quarterback who can extend plays from pressure, uh, can can maybe punish them, maybe get the ball downfield. Kentucky is 51st in EPA per pass, 108th in EPA per rush. There's some negative plays factoring into both of those. They're 45th in passing success rate, 68th in rushing success rate. So some of those early season kind of negative plays and struggles without Chris Rodriguez really kind of reflective in those aggregate numbers here. I think Kentucky should be able to run the ball. Um, the question and, and why you would bet Tennessee in this spot is can Kentucky uh get big enough explosive plays to keep up with this very explosive offense. Gary, I was going to ask you, are we sure that Kentucky's secondary is not demonstrably better than what Alabama put on the field against Tennessee? I would say, yes, they are. They, they, yes, absolutely. They're better than what Alabama put on the field. Um, and, and so, I mean, I think that's a big deal right there is like, I don't know that we're going to see Hendon Hooker throwing to wide open receivers. Um, on the other side of the ball, though, the big deal is can Will Levis work under pressure when he's kept clean 76.9 completion percent, 9.6 yards per attempt, 10 touchdowns when he's not pressured 50% completion now 10.7. So he's chucking it and they're getting it. Speaking to your thought, Gary, about about um, wide receiver play. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Robinson. But I, I, again, can he reliably make those plays happen under pressure against Tennessee and a defense that's been, you know, um, up and down against the past this season? One thing to look, Kentucky really w- plays well with quality possession rate. They're 45th in echo rate. Tennessee's defense, 113th. And so Kentucky's going to get their opportunities. Can they finish those opportunities? I I would lean towards Kentucky being able to keep this uh, under 12, especially with like some motion from Tennessee. They're due for a little bit of letdown. Um, Yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting spot. I think you're really playing the pace game here between can Kentucky keep this within uh, within 12. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I'm looking at it. It, it, This is not one that I will officially play. 
but I would have to lean Kentucky based on the spot, based on how the two match up whenever Tennessee has the ball. Uh, Kyle, let's move it over to you here. Jalen Hyatt in the last two weeks, I just had to throw this stat out there. He's got 13 catches, averaging over 29 and a half yards per catch. He has one touchdown for every 1.86 catches. That is the most absurd stat for a wide receiver that I have ever seen in my life. Uh, but he just keeps catching touchdowns, running down the field, nearly 30 yards per catch. Uh, I don't know that Kentucky has guys that are fast enough to deal with some of the weapons that Tennessee has, but I do think that Kentucky's offense can stay on the field against that Tennessee defense. Uh, what do you see in this matchup, Kyle? Yeah, I'm, I'm, first I want to say uh, I think uh, last year's game shows that maybe time of possession isn't a great indicator of success, <laughs> right? You know, Parker has said that plenty of times in the past, and you, you got no better uh, explanation of it than just pointing to that game. Uh, you know, Kentucky was 12 for 17, like you said, on third down in that game. That was one of the wildest box scores you'll see. Kentucky, uh, as Parker said, 131st in pace of play. Uh, I think they're going to try to play keep away once again. You know, I think they're going to try to keep the time of possession as much as they possibly can in this one. I guess my question is, can Kentucky run the ball? Uh, Kentucky's aggregate stats overall don't look very good rushing. Uh, maybe Gary or Parker have something there. I, I don't know if they've been a lot better here in the last three or four games or not, um, EPA-wise, but uh, Kentucky offensively has surprised me that they haven't been able to run the football better than they have this year. Even in the games that Rodriguez has been back, I don't feel like they've been terribly good running the football. Tennessee's defensive line is clearly the strength of the defense, no doubt about that. Uh, I think Kentucky's going to need a big game out of Will Levis to have uh, a chance in this one. Levis has been inconsistent. He's capable. I think the Tennessee secondary is definitely beatable. Uh, Kentucky defense has impressed me a lot. You know, I went into the season thinking Kentucky secondary was going to be a weakness. They've been really good. They've been very good. Uh, they held Ole Miss down nicely uh, offensively. They they also uh, did a good job against Mississippi State. They held Florida to 16 points. This Kentucky defense has been very good. My numbers actually su suggest I should bet the under. I, I hate that. I really don't want to bet the under. Um, Tennessee games are capable of an epic shootout at any time. So I'm going to ignore my number here and, and uh, stay off the total. I think I would lean toward Kentucky in this one just because this feels like a lot of points and, and not the greatest of situations here for Tennessee. It does make sense. By the way, uh, speaking of rushing yards, as you mentioned there, uh, since they got Chris Rodriguez back, the rushing yardage totals have gone up. I don't know that the offensive line has necessarily improved a ton, uh, but Chris Rodriguez is, if he's not at four yards after contact per carry, it's really, really close. So he knows how to break tackles. He does a really good job of it. Um, and that has certainly helped having him back in the fold. So not having him to start the season certainly hurt Kentucky. So no official play here, but, uh, you know, leans towards Kentucky. Uh, who knows what to expect out of Tennessee games at this point, but heading into Athens next week, you know, we'll be talking about that one. All right, let's move to the Pac-12. In this one, you know, you want to talk about points. USC, a 15-and-a-half point favorite at Arizona. This one, of course, in Tucson. It's a 6 p.m. Eastern time Pac-12 network game. The total sits at 75 on this one. Latest numbers at BetUS. And 15-and-a-half may be a lot to give up on the road, but... Man, when you look at how bad this Arizona defense has been, uh, maybe maybe it's not so crazy. I, I think the line, well, we'll look at that here in a minute. Kyle, I'm going to start with you on this. USC won this matchup last year 
41 to 34. Both of those teams significantly worse than their versions this season. But USC has won nine straight in this matchup. They are six and three against the spread against Arizona, but they have not covered in the last two years. This this USC team isn't what we're used to with them. They this bunch that's playing for them doesn't really know much about Arizona covering against them the last two times out. USC is five and two against the spread in their last seven. They are uh, Arizona is zero and four against the spread at home against winning teams in their last four in that position. Kyle, I'm curious, uh, the Arizona offense has been great, but, man, that defense has just been brutal. Uh, what do you see between USC and Arizona this week? So last week uh, I wrote down in my look-ahead spots that I really wanted to bet the Arizona and USC over, and and I was hoping I could get like a 70 or something like that. Uh, <laughs> I saw a Sunday night, a 76, and I'm like, well, anyways, I yeah, move on. Uh, I still think there's really huge potential for a high-scoring game, but – you always have to draw a line, and you know, seventy-five points is a massive number. Everything has to go right. I still would lean. By to the, the way, it, this thing opened at seventy-seven and a half, and it's come down to seventy-five. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's just some people blindly bet unders when a total is so high, or blindly bet overs when a total is so low. Kind of like the Iowa uh, Northwestern uh, total getting bet up makes little sense, really. But you know, just uh, on on the. Uh, on the chance that, you know, I think people look at the long-term numbers and say that's too high or that's too low. Uh, both Gentry and Goforth at linebacker have been injured for USC. They may or may not play in this game. I think that could be uh, interesting to see. Arizona's offense has been capable with Jaden Delora and Cowing. Um, USC's defense is still a bit of a problem to me, but that's especially the case against the run. And Arizona is really a team that wants to pass uh, to move the football Arizona's defense, I mean, yikes. If there was a team like set up, you know, you, you put together a team in a lab on defense that you wanted uh, USC to move the ball against, I feel like it would be Arizona, right? So <laughs> here's Arizona, dead last in college football and success rate allowed. I don't see how they have any answer for USC in this one. So as I'm looking at this game, I'm thinking USC is going to put up a really big number in this game unless they really don't care. You know, it, it to me, I think the best play in this game would be USC team total over, which I haven't seen the number. I assume based on the total, it'd be about 45, 45 and a half, somewhere in there. I think USC team total over is a good bet. Can Arizona score some late? Possibly. Uh, I'd be a little bit worried about that for a backdoor potential, but 15 and a half is not a huge number, and and I certainly lean USC in this one. Yeah, I – well – I'll go, I'll go ahead and tell you my pick. I am taking USC in this spot for all the reasons that you just laid out, Kyle. Uh, I'm not worried about the USC defense. When I look at this, USC still number one in turnover margin. Uh, they're number one in giveaways per game. They don't turn the ball over. Arizona is number 94 in the country in giveaways per game. That seems like a bad matchup to me, regardless of who's on the field for USC's defense, right? Uh, Parker, let's let's move it over to you. You know, Jordan Addison's going to be out for a little bit, but... Oh no, that just means more, you know, <laughs> Williams and more Washington. It's like they got dudes lined up for days. Uh, this offense since week four is number 10 in PPA per drive. Um, but the USC defense is number 94 in PPA per drive. I feel like Arizona could have some real success here uh, with their number seven PPA per drive and number five standard downs PPA. But I, again, that Arizona defense is so much worse than USC's. I, I don't know how along with the turnovers that I feel like Arizona is going to give up in this game. I don't know if there's enough possessions in the game to keep Arizona within this number. 
Yeah, there's certainly an argument that if you threw the ball to Jacob Cowing enough, you could create big plays. And if you theoretically had enough opportunities, you could strike that. Um, the, the thing that worries me about Arizona's offense is actually something that I think will give USC fits. So kind of, you know, from a football guy standpoint, here's something to watch for. But I don't think it's going to be enough to get them within within three scores of their two scores of this game. Jacob Cowing last season, 50 over 56 percent of his targets were uh, 10 plus yards downfield. So he was definitely like a down downfield receiver. Gary, when you uh, very, very awesomely called the San Diego State upset at the beginning of the year for Arizona, you were talking about that Delara to Cowan connection and getting him downfield and how San Diego State wouldn't be able to cover him. And that really hasn't manifested the rest of the season. It was true in that game. But yep, uh, yep. right now we're looking at 65% of his passes are within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage or behind the line of the scrimmage. And uh, USC has what, 62... Yeah, 62 missed tackles this season. Um, and their three leading missed tacklers are all their linebackers. So you could think, hey, maybe there's a recipe of let me just get my fast mobile wide receiver the ball in short yarded situations and let those USC linebackers miss tackles. But that does really put a limit because there's not a lot else in that offense that they can do. USC is 49th in the power five in uh, opponent adjusted EPA per play. They're 130th in raw EPA per rush. Arizona's offense, though, 74th in EPA per rush. It's not like they can punish them at all here. I think USC is going to be able to score at will against this defense, which is literally last. Um, 130 out of all FBS teams and 65th out of all Power 5 teams and opponent-adjusted uh, defense there. Just an awful, awful unit. USC is going to be able to spread the ball around. They're going to be able to move. They actually have a really great rushing attack. Third in EPA per play, seventh in rushing success rate. I think that they could get up with a couple big plays and then sit back and just ride this bad boy out with their run game against this defense. So I'm going to take USC here as well on the road. I, I have this you know, closer to 18, 19 points than I do this, this line here. I think you're getting a couple points of insulation here. USC's explosiveness is just going to be too much for this Arizona uh, defense to do anything with. That's, that's a hundred percent why I'm riding with it. Mine is closer to three touchdowns at 19, 20 points, somewhere around there. And yeah, exactly what you talked about. Number 31 success rate on standard downs for USC, Arizona's offense or defense, excuse me, number 131 standard downs defense. I think Travis Dye and Caleb Williams are going to be able to do whatever they want to run the football here, especially late. I think they're going to take a lot of deep shots early. I think they're going to absolutely score a ton of points, but they can ride this thing out. They can ride the clock. I, I trust them to be able to get this 15 and a half, uh, especially coming off of a bye after losing at Utah. Like I think get that bad taste out of your mouth, come out and whip somebody that you're supposed to. Uh, Parker and I both make it official. We're riding USC minus 15 and a half here. All right. We've got four more games to discuss. Before we dive into it, reminder, like the video if you would so kindly. A lot of people watching, and we certainly appreciate that. But go ahead and like that video if you're not already subscribed. And we see the numbers. We know there's a lot of you watching that are not actually subscribed to the channel. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. It lets you know when we go live. And that is every Tuesday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. All you guys that are already subscribed, jump into the chat. Give us your Q&A for the end of the show. Now... Let's dive through some other games. We'll try and go a little bit quicker on some of these. And we'll start off with this one. Coastal Carolina heads to Marshall. A nice, fun belt matchup, if you will. 7 p.m. Eastern time on the NFL Network. It's in Huntington, West Virginia. Marshall, a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home over the shots. And the total sits at 55-and-a-half. Latest numbers at BetUS. This is the first meeting between these two. Of course, Marshall, a brand-new Sunbelt member, Coastal Carolina 
eight and one against the spread, including uh, winning and covering six straight as a dog, two eight and one uh, against the spread uh, on the road here. Uh, so, a little little bit of a weird spot. Marshall uh, one and six against the spread at home against winning teams, six and twenty against the spread at home in their spots. Like this is the numbers certainly trend a certain way here. Um, Parker, I'm going to start with you. Marshall got a big win over James Madison. A lot of that was due to maybe four interceptions from the freshman quarterback from James Madison. And whew, what a drop off for the Dukes when uh, when Centio was out at quarterback. Uh, but this defense for Marshall absolutely travels. They are number one in pass uh, defense, and they are number two in rushing success defense as well. That's over the last five weeks. The offense, though, is awful. Number 120 in points per scoring opportunity. I look at this, and it's a great Coastal Carolina offense against a great Marshall defense and a bad Marshall offense against a bad Coastal defense. Parker, what do you see in this matchup? I know both of you guys have a play, and I don't here, but I, so, so I'll be brief. I'll just say, um, I think one of the great what-ifs of the 2022 college football season is going to be, what if Marshall had like even a modicum of, of functionality on offense? Like, What if they could just reliably do anything decently on offense because that defense is so good first in overall epa per play second against pass fifth against the russian epa one thing i'll look uh coastal carolina a little bit of diminishing returns to that offense i know they've had some injuries and there's a lot of churn from that 2020 team you know two years later you've lost some guys that really made it what it was um they're eighth in epa per pass but they're 103rd in epa per rush that's really important because they're also 96th in early downs epa and 95th in rush rate over expected coastal carolina wants to run early and often and then spread you out getting those get those non-obvious passing situations and try and pass there um if if marshall can keep them behind the sticks and really force the pressure i I think they could get a couple turnovers and that's definitely the recipe for them to keep it close here so i'm a little skeptical of the sustainability of coastal carolina's rush heavy offense against this very very good defense but then again am i going to bet on an offense that's literally 126th in epa per play 130th in epa per pass 99th in epa per rush 128th in echo rate 112th in echo rate uh (laughs) points per echo i mean it's i can keep going keep going right there marshall's just so on offense so i can't i can't bet them there i think if you're if you're going to bet you're going to say coastal carolina's explosiveness is going to win out i that's the way that i'm certainly leaning here um the coastal carolina defense is bad number 126 ppa per drive uh that's over the last five weeks number 116 in defensive success rate is their number 65 stuff rate over the last five weeks enough to slow down that Marshall running back, LeBourne? Uh, of course, the coastal offense is great, right? We all know McCall, um, number eight PPA per drive over the last five weeks. Uh, I mean, they they have an advantage with those explosive plays, as you talked about, Parker. Uh, Marshall, number 127 pass defense, number 121 run defense as far as explosive plays allowed. That's a little crazy, a little crazy when you think of how good that Marshall defense is. But the explosive play rate uh, is just, you know, a little little bit different there. Uh, Kyle, let's let's move it over to you. Uh, I am going to take Coastal Carolina in this spot. I, I trust having a better quarterback than uh, a really, really good defense. I think Grayson McCall will find a way to put points on the board where I don't know that I can guarantee that for Marshall, even against a bad defense, um, especially when you look at, you know, turnover margin, et cetera. Coastal Carolina, number 18 in turnover margin. They don't give the ball away. If you're not going to give the ball away, uh, I don't necessarily know how Marshall scores if they don't really get short fields. Uh, Kyle, what do you see in this one? 
I love the chat over to the side there. Uh, it looks like the chat has already figured out what I'm going to bet in this one. And, and uh, I think I think people starting to understand our tendencies here, which is pretty awesome. Um, I'm going to play the under in this game. Uh, Coastal Carolina hasn't had the same magic on offense that they've had the last couple of years. Grayson McCall, very good quarterback, doesn't have near as much help around him. Marshall, let's be honest, their games make very little sense. You know, they beat Notre Dame. They get blown out at home by Louisiana. And they lose to Bowling Green on the road. They hold James Madison uh, to zero for 17 on third down. Now, that was without Todd Centeno, and that's why the line got hit um, there late with Centeno wasn't playing. Uh, this is a Marshall offense that's just terrible. I mean, you know, offensively, 25 plays of 20 yards or more in seven games. It's, it's about as bad as you'll ever see. <laughs> Coastal Carolina secondary is their weakest unit. But do we trust Marshall to take advantage of a weak unit um, in the secondary? Marshall's passing attack, definitely bottom five in all of college football. Uh, this, uh, you know, so far this year, Marshall's been a good tonic for defenses that are struggling. And Coastal Carolina struggling on defense, certainly. Now, would it stun me if Marshall can move the ball some here? It wouldn't. You know, Coastal Carolina's been bad defensively. But the total is 55 and a half. Marshall doesn't play that fast. They've slowed down a lot from last year. The tempo here won't be that fast. It's if we can ex uh, miss out on those explosive plays, that's kind of the question about this game, right, is how many of the big plays will we see? Marshall hasn't gotten many all throughout the year. I think Marshall's defense is good enough that they're much better than what Coastal has seen most of the time. I'm taking under here just above a key number. Make sure you get at least 55 here. 55 is easily the most important number when it comes to college football totals. Uh, if you look at the last five years, uh, 55 is way above anything else as far as where games land in, in college football, which is kind of interesting. So I'm taking the under in this one. I think this will be some ugly, sloppy game uh, because Marshall's games make very little sense, but I'm going to take the under. I like it. So official plays from myself and Kyle. Kyle writing with the under 55 and a half. And I will take Coastal Carolina plus the two and a half. I think they win the game outright. So I will certainly, certainly grab those points. Moving along, we got three more that we need to hit. And this one should have been a big one in the Big Ten. Michigan State at Michigan. And the Wolverines, a 22.5 point home favorite, total of 55 in the big house. And that is the latest numbers at BetUS. Michigan State won 37 to 33 last year. Michigan State is six and three straight up in the last nine against Michigan. They are seven and two against the number against Michigan in those last nine. However, you start looking at more recent numbers, et cetera. Michigan State 0 and four against the spread on the road against winning teams. Michigan is four and one against the number against losing teams. Kyle, we're going to start off with you on this one. It's the 7.30 p.m. Eastern time game on ABC, so it's got that nice prime time slot. You know, it's a big national game. I think the Big Ten was expecting this one and the Penn State-Ohio State game to be two close games that would decide the Big Ten East. But when it comes down to it, uh, this one looks like it could get out of hand. What do you see between the Wolverines and, of course, Michigan State here? I'm going to start with a angle alert here on this one. I like to give some of these out once in a while. Ranked teams off a bye playing at home. So Michigan's in this spot off the bye playing at home. 149 and 103 against the spread in the last 252. That's 59.1%. Certainly an angle to keep an eye on. Michigan plus 2.89 yards per play on the year. Michigan State minus 0 0.29. I know there's a big difference in strength of schedule. Uh, we, we all know that. But it's not nearly enough to explain this massive of a difference. 
uh, in yards per play. And in their four Big Ten games so far, Michigan State's negative one and a half yards per play. This Michigan State team is just not very good. You know, I, I think they've uh, performed well in recent years against Michigan, and that's what everybody's going to say that wants to bet Michigan State in this game. They're going to say, look at Michigan State and how they've played against Michigan in recent seasons. I don't know that I see that as being predictive for this game. Uh, I think uh, Michigan State's offense, uh, what is it, you know, Jaden Reed and, and nobody else. You know, it feels like it's Jaden Reed yeah. or or if you if you hold down Jaden Reed, Michigan State's offense in big trouble. Uh, I think Michigan's a well-coached team. Uh, defense will be ready and should have a good game plan ready for Reed. Harbaugh's been great at covering big numbers in the past. He's not afraid to run up the score. Uh, I see no no reason for Michigan to look past this game. I mean, look at what they have coming up after this. Uh, Michigan State's given them all sorts of trouble in the past. I think Michigan has tons of blowout potential in this game. Strong lean to Michigan from me. Uh, might even consider this one as a pizza money possibility. Uh, I think Michigan could could uh, blow them out here in this one. I think they have all the reasons to be excited to do so. Uh, they're they're sitting in a really good spot. They have nothing to look forward to. Michigan State's uh, tripped them up plenty of times in the past. I think Michigan rolls to a win here. I, I do think that along with you, uh, this is a revenge spot for Michigan. Uh, and of course, over the past nine years of this going on, I mean, it's just been nonstop, but these two teams do not look even close. And do we really trust Peyton Thorne against that Michigan defense? I, I don't trust him to be able to stay ahead of the chains. That Michigan defense is number 12 in third down conversion percentage allowed. It's just not great at all. MSU is number 101 in yards per rush, number 120 in PPA per rush, number 98 in standard down success rate. I, I don't know how they stay ahead of the chains in this, and you put Peyton Thorne back there in third and long over and over and over again against that Michigan defense. At One, that pass rush is going to tee off. And second, you might see a lot of interceptions. You might see some crazy things going. This could absolutely be a route the same way that we saw it with Penn State. Um, the last five weeks, you know, Parker, we'll move over to you. Uh, Michigan number 10 in standard down success rate on offense. Michigan State's defense is number 115. So not only can Michigan State's offense not stay ahead of the chains, but their defense, I don't believe, can either. Uh, I don't think Michigan State gets them off the field. Michigan is number five in giveaways per game. They don't turn it over. Michigan State is number 58 in that same spot. So Michigan State much more likely to throw picks in this ballgame or fumble it away. Michigan is number 18 in penalties per game. Very disciplined team. Michigan State number 46. Everything points Wolverines here. Parker, what say you? Yeah, um, I mean, I think even if I, I love that Kyle said the 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 spot numbers here about the team off the bye. I think that's really important. I think that there's a couple things going on. One, uh, I, I, if if I'm Michigan, I definitely believe last year that stumbling against Michigan State is what made me have to play Georgia in the first round instead of getting a shot at Alabama in the in the second round of the playoff. Uh, or the championship rather. And uh, and so definitely some style points on the line here. I think there's a very obvious calculus about the way the SEC is going, the way the Big 12 is going, the way the Pac-12 is going, and what a Big 10 team needs to do to ensure they get in, even if they don't get into the Big 10 championship or the playoff here. So a statement win uh, against a rival is, is um, 
you know, not even accounting for Jim Harbaugh being a rah-rah guy and wanting to win. Um, that being said, we have seen some craziness in this game in the past. Um, I don't know that we've seen such an obvious split between teams here. I think that JJ for for Michigan's offense has been so good. They're ninth in EPA per play on offense compared to 53rd for Michigan State's defense. Michigan State's defense is 56th compared to Michigan's first overall defense. Um, you know, Mich- Michigan is is ninth in EPA per pass, sixth in EPA per rush. Michigan State's throwing it uh, 6.7% more than the average team. Do I trust Peyton Thorne throwing with more volume with no Kenneth Walker as a bailout here? Their run game has been abysmal, 128th in EPA per rush, 82nd in rushing success rate. They're 95th, Michigan State is, 95th in early downs EPA compared to uh, 5th in early downs EPA allowed on defense for Michigan. I don't know how Michigan State scores. I imagine we'll see a lot of trick plays, pulling out all the stops, trying to get something going. But I think the talent differential here is pretty glaring. And I think that uh, Michigan State's offense just doesn't have a leg to stand on in this game. Uh, Michigan, we've seen with with a good, I mean, the Sean Clifford to Parker Washington connection is like a very good college football connection. And we saw what they they did against Penn State. Um, I, I don't know that Michigan State has even the firepower of a Penn State here to keep this game anything respectable at all uh so the spot the statement win and the sheer differential here uh it's a big total this is probably the biggest total i'm gonna bet all year but i i, I trust michigan in the spot I, at home getting the revenge win i'm gonna go with the wolverines let's make it official michigan minus 22 and a half is the play for parker that'll move us along we got two more games that we need to hit before the q a so let's move into it the acc Pitt at North Carolina, the Tar Heels a three-point favorite at home, total of 65, latest numbers at BetUS. Chapel Hill uh, looking a little excited right now. 8 p.m. Eastern time game on the ACC network. Yeah, Chapel Hill, those guys are pumped up because as it sits, it looks like North Carolina has the best chance to win their division and play in the ACC title game. Now, who could stand in the way of that? Well, of course, these here Pitt Panthers, but we'll see. Last year, Pitt won this game 30-23. to Pitt is 2-0 straight up and against the spread in the last two years against North Carolina. Prior to that, they were 1-7 straight up, 2-6 against the spread against North Carolina. So uh, maybe changing the streak a little bit. I don't know what this Pitt team is. Are they the team that has lost two out of three to Georgia Tech and Louisville? Or is it the one that played Tennessee to an overtime matchup, the same Vols team that is now you know top four or five or whatever it is in the AP and coaches' rankings? Uh, the running back, Albani Conda, he should run wild against the North Carolina defense. Number 99 PPA per rush here. Uh, the run rate is 53%. I, I would imagine they're probably going to run the ball more against this defense uh, because you would need to do that to keep North Carolina off of the field. Now, on the other hand, North Carolina's offense is absolutely bonkers. Number three in PPA per drive in the last five weeks. The defense, however, is future. Number 118. Um the success rate for North Carolina, number 23 in the past five weeks. Pitt's defense, number nine in that spot. So it's certainly looking more like a Narduzzi team, the one that he constructed as opposed to uh, whatever it was that he tossed out there last year that, you know, they actually won with. Uh, Kyle, let's let's start with you on this. North Carolina, not great on standard down success rate here. Pitt's defense is number four. They get people behind the chains frequently. However, If Pitt does get them behind the chains, North Carolina number three in passing downs PPA, Pitt's defense is number 90 in that spot. So North Carolina may be finding ways to be explosive against this Pitt defense on third and long. I don't know that that's somewhere you want to hang out all the time, but Kyle, tell me, uh, what do you see in this one? 
I try not to do this too often, but I have to say about Pat Narduzzi, he deserves to take some heat on how things have gone. You know, I oh, mean, yes. this guy is one of the fastest coaches in the country to throw every assistant under the bus. It's never his fault. It's always the assistant's fault. After last year, Whipple did such a good job with that offense. You know, what what was wrong about their season last year on offense? In the offseason, Narduzzi is saying he's happy to have somebody who will finally run the football because that's really what they're good at. And so now he's gotten exactly what he wants. He wants these uh, lower scoring performances on offense, but they're still giving up points. So uh, the defense has gotten worse. I feel like, you know, it, it serves Narduzzi right that he's in this spot is kind of my point. You know, just that he's wanted it differently. And so now he's getting, you know, what, what he sowed. Um, this is a offense and pit that has been inconsistent. Um, Keaton Slovis, three big time throws all year. I still kind of think Keaton Slovis is pretty good, but he doesn't isn't given a great chance to be successful in this offense. Uh, you know, he also doesn't have that much help at wide receiver. You know, it's not like he has Addison out there like they used to. Um, their defense has gotten far worse too. Has Pitt. I thought their defense would be a lot better than they've been. Thirty seventh in yards per play allowed. They've given up a lot of big plays, like Gary said. What can you say about UNC? Amazing offense, terrible defense. That's about as you know succinct as I can. Boring affair breaks out nearly every time uh, they play a football game. Drake May has been fantastic. North Carolina's defense needs to start getting some takeaways if they're not if they're going to give up so many yards. They only have eight takeaways this year. Eileen, North Carolina. Uh, I see the chat likes the over. I think I'm going to put some pizza money on the over here as well. I, th- this just feels like a game that. That could get stupid, you know. I mean, we, we could see Pitt actually looking good on offense because everybody looks good on offense against North Carolina, but Pitt giving up a bunch of big plays. So, I am going to put a little bit of a bet here on the over. Uh, Pitt is liable to kick too many field goals here on fourth and one from the three or four yard line or something like that. So, I'm, I'm hesitant to put a lot of money on the over because I don't trust Narduzzi teams to uh, do the right thing on fourth and short. I am hesitant to trust Mac Brown and the UNC defense too much, which is why I didn't bet uh, North Carolina minus three. But that's certainly my lean. I I side with you on this. It's certainly a lean for me. I don't know how much I trust either team, so I'm I'm staying away from it. But Parker, we'll we'll move over to you. As I was talking about with you know being behind the chains, you know North Carolina is actually really successful when they get in that spot. Uh, Pitt, I don't know as much about i don't really know what this offense wants to be other than i know that they want to run the ball but as far as like the the rush rate i it's not like they're overwhelmingly running the ball like they're still letting slovis throw it around some um but they've been kind of without mumfield here and there you know he was supposed to be kind of the star wide receiver i don't really know about the weapons that they've got do they have enough to be able to hang with north carolina here well, um, yeah, so I actually look at the rest rate over expected because, again, I like to account for like short field situations or like, hey, if it's second and one, sometimes people will take that shot. And I have pit at 100, uh, 5.6 rest rate over expected. And so I, they definitely are. I mean, I think that's game state is dictated a lot of like, hey, we're down and we need to pass to try and catch up or the West Virginia games like, man, we can't. We can't keep up with these guys if we just if we just run the ball here. But I think that's changed uh, the past couple of weeks. Gary, um, astute watchers of this show will be inclined to remind me of a, a UNC uh, under seven and a half bet that I have from earlier. But uh, I'll say that I'll say that uh, sharks don't swim backwards and I'm coming around to Drake may uh, a whole lot being able to overcome a gene Chizik led defense, which is still a very funny thing to me. Two quarterbacks in the nation two have an average depth of target 
greater than 10, and adjusted completion greater than 78%. Those two quarterbacks, Bryce Young and Drake May. Drake May has 11.1 ADOT, completing 78.7% of his passes. That's uh, absolutely absurd. He's putting the ball downfield. I was worried that... Um, you know, the whole offense was made out of Josh Downs last year. They're going to be able to spread the ball around, and he's done that a little bit more. They've been so multiple. I have them as the sixth most efficient offense in the Power Five compared to uh, Pitt's offense is 44th out of those 65 teams. Um, on the other side of the ball, North Carolina is 61st. They have been very bad on defense. Um, but Pitt's offense is only 44th. They're rushing so much um, that, you know, UNC is a little bit better against the rush than they are the past. And uh, you mentioned field goals. I think finishing drives is something I really like in North Carolina's favor here. 64th in quality possession rate for Pitt, 90th in points per echo. Uh, 112th in quality possession rate for North Carolina's defense, but... 88 in points per echo there. So they're a little bit better at stopping, not giving up, uh, you know, as, as many of those big plays relatively. I think that feeds into a narrative where Pitt's very conservative. UNC can spread it out. Pitt kicks field goals. UNC uh, scores touchdowns. I'm going to ride with the Tar Heels at home to cover. I love it. Official play for Parker. Going with the Tar Heels. Keeping up in that division. I like it. North Carolina to cover three at home against Pitt. Yeah, I like uh, I like what you're smelling there. I like that. Moving right along, we've got one more game to discuss before we get into the Q&A. Stanford heads to the Rose Bowl to take on the UCLA Bruins. And the Bruins, Chip Kelly's team, a 17-point favorite at home. Yeah, that's a lot of points. But, hey, Pasadena uh, doesn't have to necessarily be rocking. Both these teams used to not playing in front of huge crowds. Uh, I can understand, you know. <laughs> Uh, this is a 10.30 p.m. Eastern time game on ESPN. UCLA won this matchup last year, 35-24. to 24. They are 2-1 and one straight up against Stanford in the past uh, three matchups. They are 2-1 uh, and one against the spread in the last three against Stanford. They were not so great before that, but regardless, Stanford 2-7 and seven against the spread against winning teams. UCLA is 9-0 and oh against the spread against teams with a losing record. Parker. We're going to start with you on this one. Stanford last week, according to college football data, had a 35% postgame win expectancy in a 15-14 win against Arizona State. That is two straight wins for Stanford, scoring less than 16 points. 15 points and 16 against Notre Dame. Um, I, I don't think you can do that against UCLA. What, what do you see here? The odds of UCLA scoring that few points are very low, I think. Um and, uh, and yeah, I, I mean, I have this as UCLA's offense is 10th in, in uh, EPA per play, uh, accounting for opponents. So very strong unit. I mean, last week wasn't that bad of a game um, for that offense. That defense got absolutely torched. But Stanford's defense is 52nd. They've just been really, really bad. And Arizona State is really bad, which is why Arizona State didn't score a lot of points against Stanford. Um, the other side of the ball, I think, you know, UCLA's defense relatively weaker, but still 50 or excuse me, 43rd compared to 50th for Stanford's offense. Stanford is passing a lot. Uh, that's a lot of out of desperation, I believe, um, in the spot there. And, uh, you know, UCLA is 18th in field position allowed. Stanford's 131st. I'm just not excited about a shootout between a Chip Kelly offense and a Stanford offense that's going to be starting from its own 14-yard line every drive, right? Like, that's just not going to work out well for <laughs> UCLA. One thing to point out, uh, you know, Kyle talked about coordinators. Stanford had 88% returning production this year. That was third in the nation. Um that's a little underwhelming. Uh, it's been underwhelming for a little bit there. I'm not sure what the identity is. I wonder if they're just waiting for the guy from Rice to, 
you know, win enough games that they can plausibly hire him and, and kind of keep the continuity going. But um, some some real issues with that team structurally and development wise, they had a lot of talent and a lot of returning talent and have looked very bad this season. So um, I, this, this number is a little too big for me just because UCLA's defense is a little volatile and Stanford passes a lot. So you kind of talk about the variance in the big play rate there. But I, I, I think UCLA should be able to score as much as they want. Chip Kelly could call his number before the game. That's exactly what I'm looking at in this one. Uh, Kyle, we'll move it over to you. UCLA, you know, appeared to have been blown out by Oregon, but uh, never punted, just couldn't finish the drives. They were very successful in the ballgame. Number 32 in points per scoring opportunity, and Stanford's defense is number 93, so UCLA can finish drives. Stanford can't stop people from finishing drives. Something to pay attention to that's over the last five weeks, by the way. A lot of the data that I'm using is very recent data, by the way. Uh, Kyle, what, what do you see in this matchup between the Cardinal and the Bruins? I'm going to keep my thoughts brief because, one, I don't have any uh, strong opinion on this game, and I want us to be able to hit plenty of the Q&A. You know, I think that Stanford, if you wanted to say something positive for them, they have played the toughest schedule in the country, according to Sagarin. So they've played a very tough schedule, UCLA 66th. Uh, Stanford's been a turnover machine. They have 14 fumbles so far this year, six interceptions. Stanford's playing quicker than they have in the past. They're 43rd in pace. Usually this is a team that's bottom 10 in tempo. UCLA up to 18th. I think real potential for a lot of points here if Stanford can keep up at all. Can they? I don't know. I mean, I'll lean the over here. I'm going to pass on the side. Uh, just, just not a strong feeling for this one. I am going to ride UCLA here. I liked it much more when I took it at 15 on Sunday. It has bumped up. It opened at 14 and a half. It's all the way out to 17 at this point. I still like it at this number. Uh, reason being, I don't think UCLA is going to leave the field a whole lot without points, right? They are number 13 in standard down success rate against Stanford, number 102 in that metric. Giveaways per game, like Kyle just talked about, UCLA number 21, Stanford number 81. If one of these teams is more likely to throw turnovers, throw interceptions, et cetera, it's going to be uh, Tanner McKee, right? Uh, if he's going to have a big day, if McKee is going to have a big day, it should be here. You know, UCLA number 87 PPA per pass on defense, but I – I like what UCLA is doing on offense. The fact that they, I'm not going to say that they got embarrassed, but points wise, it certainly looked like it. That was your first real big spot on the road. Now you get to come back home against the defense that you know you can score on. I think they are going to score all day. I think DTR is going to have a huge day and especially Zach Charbonnet against this defense, right? I, I like what UCLA is doing on offense a whole lot. It's not like Oregon stopped them last week. I think they're going to put up a ton of points I don't think Stanford can keep up. Give me UCLA, minus 17. I like the Bruins in this spot. Gentlemen, before we dive into the Q&A, let me go on and get everybody that is watching to go ahead and like the video if you have not done so already. That would certainly help us out and make sure that you are subscribed. Now, we have got some questions. And we are going to rapid fire this thing. We're going to hit as many as we can. Joe Blow jumped in and said, Ole Miss bounce back Gary. Uh, I am staying away from that ballgame. Um, the line is three, Ole Miss at Texas A&M, and I don't know what to make of what is going on with Texas A&M's program, and Ole Miss eh, did not look, they did not prove anybody wrong that may have said that they were fraudulent before last week, right? At this defense, they had not really played a tough uh, schedule leading up to the game at LSU last week. Now they got to go on the road against a team that is just reeling right now in the Aggies. Texas A&M really kind of needs this one to get to a bowl game. I am staying away from that one for 
sure. Uh, Kyle, Parker, either of you have any thoughts on, on Ole Miss? Just a high-variance game, right? Yeah. Uh, Kenneth Collins jumps in. Who is the best quarterback in the country not named C.J. Stroud? Kyle, I will toss that one to you. I mean, Bryce Young's best, in my opinion. So that that's, um, you know, and that's a, from a Buckeyes fan. If you if you say, I, I see he noted, too, what about other than Bryce Young uh, later? So if you leave those out, what would it be? Probably Caleb Williams or Drake May. Um, or I think Hendon I'd take, Hooker. Yeah, Hendon Hooker, for sure. I think that's a great <laughs> system. Um, so, you know, I don't know that Hooker is the, the NFL guy uh, that some of the others could be, but I think I'd probably say Caleb Williams after this, but I, I do think Bryce Young's the best quarterback in college football. Very nice. Uh, SMU, a two and a half point favorite at Tulsa. Parker, um, George said, think SMU has better players, should win and cover, was not impressed with Tulsa versus Temple. Uh, before you start on this, Parker, uh, George, don't just look at one ball game for Tulsa. Like it, each game is different. Look at what Tulsa is over the long haul. But uh, Parker, you go ahead with this one. Uh, I don't think Tanner Mordecai is practicing. I don't think Rashi Rice is practicing. I think both of them are Friday decisions, right? Yeah, and I think SMU's defense is really bad. So maybe wait and see what you could snag closer to time. But right now, I don't see a lot of value with the uncertainty. Um, I have this literally as, uh, I mean, an over. I have this as a crazy over, but I'm bad at totals. Kyle's the totals guy. I have have this as like 40.1 to 40.2 in favor of Tulsa. So um, we just, I, I don't feel great about that right now. Here's uh, some numbers on it, by the way. SMU 0-5 against the spread in their last five against Tulsa. Not to mention SMU 0-7 against the spread on the road against losing teams in their last seven. So uh, situationally trendy, uh, certainly looks like Tulsa would be the play there. But regardless, um, Kyle, what's your thoughts on Temple versus Navy? Yeah, I, I really don't have a lean in this one. I, I know some people have been taking some Navy overs uh, based on their defense being a bit weaker, but that's against teams who can throw the ball well. Uh, I don't I don't know that Temple is that team. So I, I got to pass. I, I don't like laying a lot of points with Navy either. They're, they're not the type of team that wins games by margin consistently. I, I really don't have any lean there. I, I talked about I talked about that one yesterday in the Q and A too, uh, just about the imbalance between Temple's defense and Navy. So go back and find that too. There you go. Um, let's see, Ole Miss Aggie game. That's another one on that. We already hit it. Uh, Florida State against Georgia Tech. Uh, let's see. You know what? I'm gonna put this one up for grabs. Kyle, do you want this one instead of that Navy game, or uh, or Parker? Would you want this one? Uh, I mean, Georgia Tech looked terrible with uh, uh, without Zach, Jeff Sims, the, right? The name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gibson, is that his name? I think yeah, that's um, the Akron trend. Oh, man. Gosh, as soon as uh, Sims went out last week, that that bet that I had last week was just completely toast. Um, you know, I, 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 I think I would want to know who's playing quarterback for sure, but I would lean to the under in this game thinking Georgia Tech can't score very many if it's Gibson. Uh, 24 points is a huge spread. I don't know what to do with the spread like that, but I, I do lean under. The uh, the numbers on that, by the way, Georgia Tech six zero and two against the spread of their last eight against Florida State. So that number is always huge. In this situation, it could certainly be warranted. So, uh, Net Patriot jumps in and says, "What are your takes on Illinois at Nebraska?" Um, well, I I'm not a, a I don't like either side on this one because I could absolutely see Brett Bielema losing a game that he is supposed to win late in the season like this. 
Uh, Mickey Joseph seems to have things rolling there. My numbers say that it should be Illinois by like four or five or somewhere in between, about four and a half points. So it's a little inflated, it looks to me, but I don't know. Parker, Kyle, y'all got a, a feel on this one? I have this right. I think this is a good line. I have this right about 7.8 points, and uh, I just don't have a strong value there. I think Illinois should win comfortably. But, um, I mean, Nebraska's offense is 37th in EPA per play. Like, they could still theoretically move the ball against an Illinois team that's really heavy in the run, 96th rush rate over expected. So game script's going to determine a lot of where this lands on that 7.5 spot. I think that's a really good line this week. Moving along, uh, Kyle, did you want to jump in on it? I think I would bet Illinois if I had to. I think they are kind of the real deal, not not fake yeah. as some people would think, but not a strong opinion. Yeah, that that defense for Illinois is Ryan Walters is awesome, Fantastic. awesome. Uh, Q and A from the Polo. Does Miami figure it out versus Virginia? Uh, Kyle, you want this one? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, why would I want to bet Miami? I mean, we've seen what Miami is, but I want no part in betting Virginia on this game. So I, I would lean the under, but Miami games, I mean, there might be two or three pick sixes. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm hoping one of you guys have a lean on this one. I got nothing. I, got, I don't like it away. where I don't like it at two right now. Either. Like give me three and a half and sure. I'll be like, yeah, maybe I'd maybe I'd slightly lean to Virginia, but within a field goal. No, I don't have a lean here at all. <laughs> Uh, Ryan, no, yeah, Ryan Campbell jumps in. Q&A for Parker. Difference between echo rate and echo ratio. Uh, very quickly, echo rate is how often you generate a quality possession. The number of quality possessions divided by your total possessions. Ratio is what percent of the total quality possessions in a game do you control. It's an alternative to time of possession that tells us a little bit more information about how the game went. Hit me up on Twitter nice. if you got more. That was really good. <laughs> working on my elevator pitch. I've been working on it. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> Uh, Matthew Farmer, any thoughts on the Sicko game of the week, New Mexico State and UMass? Uh, I will tell you that I kind of like New Mexico State this week. Uh, this team has been playing a lot better over the past few weeks. Uh, numbers certainly point that way. Jerry Kill's doing a good job there. Don Brown is not doing bad with that UMass defense, but man, their offense is putrid. Uh, Kyle Parker, either one of y'all got something on this one? Slightly New interesting, New Mexico State. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah, they have certainly been playing a lot better here lately. Uh, Net Patriot, Notre Dame at Syracuse. We hit that one yesterday. Go check out yesterday's Q&A from the Tuesday show. Matthew Nunnery, uh, what do y'all think about Old Dominion Moneyline against Georgia State? We've not gotten this one yet. Um, Parker, how do you how do you feel about ODU? Yeah, let me let me pull this up. Um, ODU, Georgia State, Moneyline, three and a half. No, I've got Georgia State. I've got Georgia State by covering. Yeah, so um, I think that Georgia State's defense is just better than Od Old Dominion's offense. Like, Old Dominion's offense is, can we get it to Ali Jennings like four times a game and maybe get, you know, 300 <laughs> yards off that or something ridiculous? And Georgia State's defense is 14th in EPA per pass. So I just don't know that's a good recipe there. I don't like that bet. I can understand that. Uh, Kyle, I'm going to give you the last one. It's going back to that Illinois-Nebraska game. Um, what about the under 50 and a half in that ballgame? Yeah, I mean, I always lean under in Illinois games. Uh, Nebraska has slowed down their pace a little bit. I would I would lean the under there as well. Uh, I want to say real quickly about the Old Dominion game. The th tricky thing about uh, Georgia State is that uh, Granger really can't throw the ball at all. So the question is whether they can, you know, stop the run. Can Old Dominion stop the run or not? Um, I don't know. I I think I would I think I lean Old Dominion in that game, but Old Dominion's been a pretty high variance team as well. 
most certainly. I think that that's going to wrap up the Q&A uh, for today. So we, we went a little long with the games. But if anybody wants to hit us up, you can always jump into the comments afterwards uh, here on YouTube. Or you can always reach out to us on Twitter. Our handles are, of course, on the screen multiple times during the show. And they are in the description below. So reach out to us. You can follow us over there as well. We try and respond to as much as we possibly can each week. So any other questions that you might have on spreads, ball games, coaches, whatever it is, you just have any kind of question about life in general, we'll probably try and help with that too. You can always reach out to us. Let's dive into the picks recap. Here are our best bets for today's show. Parker, you got a slew of them. Go on and let them rip. I'm going to be busy on Saturday night. I got uh, TCU minus seven and a half, Wake minus three and a half, USC minus 15 and a half, Michigan minus 22 and a half, and UNC minus three. Uh, all favorites this week. I was going to comment on the favorites thing, but I, I realized that I have three of them out of my four picks, so I can't <laughs> say anything. I've got South Carolina covering four at home against Missouri. I've got USC, the other USC covering 15 and a half on the road at Arizona. I like Coastal Carolina plus two and a half, and I like UCLA to cover 17. Kyle, what have you got? I'm going to take Wake Forest minus three and a half, just like Parker did. And then I'm also going to take Coastal Carolina, Marshall under 55 and a half. And I took uh, some pizza money on that UNC over as well. I like it. Gentlemen, another fantastic week, another fantastic slate of games. It never gets old. It really doesn't. A lot of fun here on the show. Let me go on and remind everybody, like the video if you would so kindly. Let's get up to 200 before we leave the show. Uh, but along with that, subscribe to the channel. Uh, we've got a huge number of people that watch that are not actually subscribed. Hitting subscribe actually does help us out quite a bit. With all the background, computer genius, whatever stuff, algorithm, uh, whatever kind of words make you sound smart. All that stuff that goes on in the background is helped by hitting subscribe and hitting the like button. So go ahead and do that for us if you would so kindly. Along with that, uh, jump in the comments afterwards. We want to know your picks for the week. We want to know what you guys are doing. I'll see if we can't get maybe some kind of contest going on for the end of uh, end of the season. Maybe something for people tossing in picks uh, before the ball games where hey, maybe you can win some BetUS merch, something like that. So, um, so no Three Dog Thursday this week for Parker. But no, no college football represented on Three Dog Thursday, but that's okay. Go and check out the BetUS TV main channel every Thursday morning. BetUS uh, does a fantastic job with that. And I think that wraps it up. Looking through the notes. Nope. Like, subscribe, share the show out. Go subscribe to the podcast. I think that's going to wrap it up. Gentlemen, what a wonderful, wonderful week. For BetUS, where the game begins, God bless college football, and we'll see you guys again next week.